Hi there, everybody. It's Game Changers with Vicki Abelson. And my guest today is a long time coming and I couldn't be more excited and thrilled and I've dropped everything in sight. Hi, Adam Markin. Hello there. It, it's taken me forever to get you, Adam. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I played hard to get. You I, did play hard to get. I, I needed to know that you really wanted me. <laughs> well, I hope now you feel confident in that fact. Yes, you do. Of course you do. Um, I, I'm putting up another screen so that I'll be able to look at, at, at you know, the COVID crazies and I want to talk to you. Be, before we get into the whole Adam Arkin story of which there is so much and I'm, I'm learning more all the time. I, um, you're living in this world of COVID. I see, I see you as a person first and foremost now because we're Facebook friends and I read your posts. So what, what is this whole, what is this whole year almost what's this COVID time been like for you and michelle um you know i i i feel like i i like so many people i know i i seesaw between um feeling you know really impacted by everything and really grateful for um what we've been able to uh stay aware of during this time and 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 the fact that we we've, we've essentially been safe and we've had a roof over our heads and um we we've certainly had our our share of stresses and freaking out about stuff but um we've had the space to give each other space and we've been safe and healthy through it um and do you see, do you see how, how much does your world go outside of your home do you see your kids? Do you see your father? Well, my my my, my son, uh, our son lives with us. Uh, we, we we have a about to be sixteen year old son who's been homeschooling during the during the COVID school shutdown. Um, so we've been we've been seeing a lot of each other. That, so, okay, so how does that? You know, I have a few friends that are doing that. My kids are grown in there. How that has to be really hard on your son. It's really hard on him. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of how he's been weathering it. Um, he, um, but, but I mean, everything with kids these age is is about social interaction and being with their friends and and you know not wanting to be cooped up with adults all the time. Right. There's been no way around that, and we, I think, we've been on the conservative side of of taking the precautions seriously. Um, so there, there have been opportunities for him to be with friends, but it, it, by and large, it's only been with families that we know have been kind of equally careful about stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's tricky because you don't, you, you know, you don't want to get in people's business too much and, or, or, or feel like you're judging the choices that they're making. But when it is literally something that, that, that could, for all we know, be life and death decision, yeah. um, it, 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 we, we've just been trying to be really careful about it. Um, but so my, you, do, you do have bubbles of people that you... We, we have a couple of families uh, that, that we've allowed Emmett to spend time with their kids. And, um, and in some cases, you know, there, there was one case where he, 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 one family that we've been letting him see friends with went to Big Bear and invited them to come along. Wow. And, so they were up there, but then we we took some extra precautions uh, when he came back. Like we, uh, what? 
we we kind of kept our distance a little bit. We kept masks on for a few days, and then we got him tested when he'd been home after a few days. Um, so yeah, we we've been taking it seriously. Um, do you guys and, shop? Do you shop? Do you go to <clears throat> stores? Uh, you know, initially we were we were having almost everything delivered, um, mm -hmm. and and now um, we will make trips to the grocery store. But it's it, you know we make a list. It's you know, and it's in and out. We don't we don't dawdle. We don't window shop anywhere. Yeah, yeah. and and is it nerve wracking doing that, or do you feel safe? It, it was much more nerve wracking at the beginning of everything. Now, now it, it's feeling a little bit like, like routine. Um, I mean, a routine in which the precautions are, are like I said, taken seriously, but we kind of have it down. We've got the hand sanitizers in the car and we've got the masks on and, um, and we, we keep our distance. And I've even become one of those guys that, you know, when the inevitable person with the mask down below their nose is walking around, I just say, you, you, you realize that that's like not doing anything, right? Like, you know, one well, of those. But we are your people because we, we, we tell people. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the big COVID crazies is Cindy Beagle, and she worked on um, Bustin' Loose. It was her first writing oh, wow. gig. Really, and, wow. uh, and it was your first starring gig, and so yeah. that was a very happy time for both of you. But she worked on all of Gary's shows on Happy Days, and I just watched. All right, I wasn't going to go to career yet, but I can't help it. I just watched your Happy Days, and you know I'm good oh. friends with Anthony and Donnie and stuff. And um, oh my God, the tough guy! You play the tough guy a lot. I, I, I've come to find out that you're most often, I think, either a tough guy or a very droll. You know, very serious. You you play that a lot. Very serious and very tough. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to be either. Well, you're leaving out. I, I played a fair amount of like just schmucks too, nebbish <laughs> schmucks. Over, over the, <laughs> you, you, you know, when, when the question comes out on on Facebook, you know, you know those those quizzes like yeah. which 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 uh, celebrity do you get most often that you look like? Uh, and and I, I've had to answer, and truthfully, I said on the, on the good end of the scale, George Clooney. On the bad end of the scale, uh, uh, um, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, the, 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 the guy that did the Clear Eyes ads. Um, um, I, don't oh, watch I don't watch commercials, I don't know who it is. Oh, yeah. it, it, it'll it'll come to me. He he's right. a political commentator and an actor, and oh God, I'm having a senior moment. It just went right out of my head. All right, it'll come back. I, I do that all the time. The, the George Clooney thing um, I see, and I also one of the things that one of the videos I watched of you today, it had George Clooney's picture in the background. So they, oh, really? they agree with you. You've gotten their endorsement. It was like it was. I think it was like your wiki page. Like they say your wiki out loud or something. And it was George Clooney's picture. And I thought, well, how how can I trust their information when they don't even get the picture right? But Chicago Hope and ER uh, premiered on the same night, uh, so we were you know we were both playing we were both playing surgeons on that, and um, and there there was for a while a lot of confusion. As 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 we aged, he he became much more George Clooney, the movie star, and I became much more Adam, the uh, character actor. Wow, you, you you've had more. You've had your you've had more than your day. I think you, you, no, you have plenty more of your day. But uh, 
you've gotten to to be the leading man and to to do all of that too and uh, i didn't realize that you know i guess it was already the days of of vcrs because i watched both shows through their runs and i did not remember that they premiered on the first day that's crazy on the same yeah day. it was nuts yeah um and speaking of well I, I i'm moving all over the place but david e kelly um you've done a lot of david e kelly are you watching um the undoing right now I, we've we've seen the first two episodes of it. Yeah, pretty pretty brilliantly done. Yeah, be beautiful production. Yeah, it's pretty wonderful. And I don't I don't like watching things in real time. It's very annoying to not be able to binge. I am not liking watching something. This is the first thing I'm watching in real time because I can't stop myself. But we um, finished the second episode and said, "Are you up for a third one?" And then they were like, "Oh no, we can't. We can't do it. We got to wait." Well, there is a third one now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the third one now. And speaking of which, it was on your recommendation that I watched something recently, but it, it felt like homework trying to get myself there. But you had recommended um, my octopus teacher so strongly that I thought I have yeah. to watch this. And I, I recommended it to a couple of friends who felt the same way you did. And I was like, you know, I don't like Jacques Cousteau. I don't like that whole like looking at water and like, is that your thing? Nor do you like like that like that kind of stuff? I do like I do like nature documentaries, but but I felt like that that film um, pushed into something else for me. I mean that that that, that I mean, certainly the nature photography part of it was was incredibly important and and uh, a, a, an essential part of it. But it but it it moved into something that felt really ultimately about a, a kind of philosophical um, and existential growth experience for that guy and I, I found it very moving very by the moving. way wendy hammers just said the name you were looking for you look nothing like ben stein oh it's ben stein yeah yeah so but but who the hell is that person that would be either george clooney or ben stein that's an insanity that, that that's that's a hybrid i i'm not proud of being <laughs> you don't look anything like ben stein that, that, that thank you wendy oh. that was well, very You've never seen me when my eyes are bloodshot, so. <laughs> That's very funny. Meanwhile, the women are all going, I'm so jealous. Oh my God. They're, they're giving you the George Clooney over here. And right. uh, the COVID crazies are saying you're one of us. But anyway, so the, the, my octopus teacher, for me, I, I literally started it 10 times from the uh -huh. time you recommended it until I finally, because I kept starting it and going, no, I can't, I can't do, I can't watch him just. And then as soon as he met the octopus, yeah, the whole movie changed for me. Well, for me, I mean, all I have to hear is uh, at the beginning of the film, he says he went through a deep emotional crisis. And I'm like, I'm in. I'm ready to see <laughs> whatever happens next. I'm fascinated. <laughs> and he did. You know, it was almost, there was something almost voyeuristic about watching him, watching them together. And yeah. the, when he said, uh, uh, this was the last time we touched. And the way he said, I mean, it was really a love affair that was beyond my comprehension until seeing this film. Yeah, it's, it's hard to think of a, a film like that as having spoilers, and I don't want to give stuff away, but but the the, the gift that it ends up representing to, to his own healing and his relationships with his family, I, I found, I just found really moving, really moving. Very moving. His, his, the depth of his emotion, I did give a spoiler, I'm sorry for anybody who hasn't seen it, but the depth to his emotion uh, was not something that I would expect from a scientist like that. Yeah. So that was also 
very moving well, for me. He, he, he was kind of a self-made scientist because really he, he's, he was a, he's a photographer and filmmaker, you know, and, and had been, I think, work, making his living, you know, doing extreme, um, extreme nature documentaries and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, all right, so now, so let, let's roll it back a little bit. So your son, do you feel that, because a friend of mine is going through a crisis right now with her son, where he, he kind of had a meltdown today about the lack of sociability. Do you feel like Emmett's getting the kind of education he would be getting if he was in a classroom? Like, is, are they getting educated through this? I actually do feel it, yeah. I mean, I mean there's something about the way he's wired he you know he, it's funny because I'm, I'm not a big uh, uh, astrology guy but but we were just recently reading astro about astrological signs and he's a Sagittarius and a, a lot of a lot of the the elements of Sagittarius as described in what we were reading was that they're 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 very independent thinkers and very um very happy keeping their own company um mm -hmm. you know when they have to. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's been something about the the remote learning that's made him feel like he was a little bit more in control of his own agenda wow. and, 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 um, and how he wants to portion out his day and when he puts the time in that I, I see him actually uh, responding really well. And, and we had his, his, uh, his, teacher conferences just recently and, and, and to a person, they just said that he'd been really contributing and really showing up and, and uh, the school he goes to, um, you know, sort of encourages parents not to be micromanaging. So we've, we've kind of been letting him do his own thing and figure, figuring if, if there were issues that we would hear about them. And, uh, and everything, all the feedback we've been getting has been great. And I've been really proud of him. And he, it's it's not like he's uh, it's not like he doesn't have tough days. There there are right. days where him really champing at the bit. But what I, what I've been really encouraged by is the fact that he he shares what's going on with him. He's not shutting down. And if he has a crappy day, or what's the language situation here? Do yeah, we have to? The, the, I, you, haven't you heard me enough to know that fucking anything goes? All right. Well, he, he has his shitty days, but but he's able to just like articulate it and uh, and share it and and not not isolate or or plummet around it. So, do you and, do uh, like family thing? Like, do you play like family game? Do you do like family things? Um, we, we yeah, we do a fair amount of family things. We 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 have been at, at dinner time. We've been making it. Um, we've been screening stuff at dinner, so we've been. We've been having kind of uh, shows that we've been really involved with. We just finished uh, the Queen's Gambit. We were watching every night together and loved that. Oh my um, God! Yes. And um, and then and and he's really interested in filmmaking. So watching something is not just a spectator sport. We, I find we really get into like conversations about it. And he's also been really um, he he's been very politically attuned to what's going on. So. We watch a lot of uh, we watch a lot of John Oliver and and talk about stuff uh, in in the news on a daily basis. Um, he he likes coming at it from a comedic standpoint, but he he's learning a lot doing it. Um, nice. And um, and we we also play tennis together. So. 
And have you been able to do that through the, you've been doing that through the? Yeah, through, through the COVID, it's, it's the, the place we go is pretty strict about wearing masks until you get on the court and then you're okay. Um, and, um, and again, they've, and they, they've been encouraging only singles. So you're, you're kind of by the nature of the sport, you're keeping your distance. Okay, so we, we segue this way. I'm, we'll come back to COVID through work, but so politically, I've been reading your posts for a long time, and um, I know this election was uh, very traumatic for you, as it was for many of us. Um, Still is. And okay, so he, yeah, so I was just listening to to what's going on, the latest today. You know, they're doing a a by hand recount in Georgia now. Of course, he's. Um, yeah. I don't know that he's going to be able to do that in Pennsylvania. I think the number was too great for him to. Yeah. So I, I'm concerned, you know, I just heard they're not letting, they're, the, the, um, the Defense Department is not letting Biden get his emails, his correspondence from other world leaders. Right. You know, there's issues of national security that are being breached here. I mean, the fact that he fired Esper, you know, right in the middle of all of this. So, what do you, what, how do you, how are you feeling? What are you thinking about what's going on now? About this non-transition of power? Um, oh God, I, I mean, we, we, I, I have so many feelings about it. We, we could go on a long tangent about it, but I, I think what's happening is very dangerous. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I think one of the most upsetting things that's happened since uh, the weekend mm -hmm. is, is this statement that Pompeo made, which I, I think was um, I, I, I think it, it it bordered on on, you know, treasonous to do that because mm -hmm. he is, you know, th this was a legal election until somebody's able to prove something otherwise, which they've been over and over again in every case that's come up uh, uh, so far. Uh, there's nothing there. And, you know, conversely, if, if, you know, can you imagine what the Republican response would have been if Democrats had been putting up fake ballot boxes and, and closing bridges and showing up armed at at, at polling oh, places, so, yeah, and, and and yeah, and and the whole thing that's gone on with you know for months leading up to this with the post office, unbelievable. If if, if the Democrats had been doing any of that, mm -hmm. they, they would be losing their ever loving minds, mm -hmm. and and uh, you know for all of their for all of their accusations and all the conspiracy theories about something being up, it, it really seems like from the Republican side, they have been the only ones that have been trying to manipulate this in any way. And uh, it's amazing that, that they didn't have more of an effect on things than they did. It's a testimony to how many people were committed to uh, the Democratic ticket that, that with everything they tried to pull, we still you know, got the victory that we did both in the Electoral College and and how do you make the argument that there's something wrong with the Electoral College vote when the when the popular vote was won by over four million votes? Right. So, so the, the whole the whole thing the whole thing feels really dangerous, mm -hmm. really enabling of somebody that even the Republicans know is on the on, on right on the edge of losing his mind. Mm -hmm. And um, and I I hope it gets resolved quickly and 
you know, without something we all want to avoid happening. What, what's your gut? Uh, do you feel, do you have any, um, like, I don't know, it just feels to me like it's getting more and more dangerous. Um, I, I don't, I think the thing that's most upsetting about the past four years and certainly the past six, seven months mm -hmm. is that um, none of us know what to trust even regarding our gut anymore. The, the, norm, the norms have been so skewed that, that you know, I, I have been wrong more than I care to admit about, you know, what clearly has to happen next. So I, I find myself just hesitant to, to rely on my gut the way I, I used to. And I think that's been one of the most unsettling things about all of this. I, 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 our, our trust in everything has been eroded to such a degree <clears throat> that, um, that, that I think a lot of people who normally really felt that they had a, a, um, a spidey sense about, you know, what was going to unfold are, are walking around going like, I don't know that I can trust that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I, I guess, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I feel like, you know, I have a, 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 what I'd like to think is a warrior spirit inside me somewhere. And there's a part of me that feels like, um, as with everything else, a lot of this is bullying and bluster. And, um, and that at the end of the day, it, 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 it won't hold. But, but how much damage will be done before that is made apparent um, remains to be seen. And, and, um, and there's no doubt in my mind that, that something you know, in real time is being damaged even as we're sitting here talking because this is a transition that, that if everything went perfectly, it's a transition that's taking place in the midst of a massive crisis that, that is, has only been getting worse. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, take the politics out of that, the, the, just the science of what we're dealing with in terms of the pandemic and right behind that or, or intertwined with it, uh, the, 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 the environmental issues we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And um, the fact that, that anybody would want to be obstructionist in, 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 in the government working uh, with the most clear-eyed and, and cooperative spirit at a time like this is heartbreaking. It is, and, and it doesn't look like he's moving at all towards grace in any of this. I mean, the first president, I believe, to not uh, welcome the incoming incumbent to uh, totally ignore it, to totally negate it, and um, to do everything he can to. Um, I, I, the fact that he, we find our news out by him tweeting that that's how he disseminates his information is how presidential is that? Do you think there's a possibility, Adam, that that he'll be brought to justice for what he's done? Uh, I hope so. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Do you do you think I, it's I possible? Hope, and I hope a lot of people along with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you, but do you think it's possible? I was having this conversation with Evan Handler last week, and he said no American president's ever going to end up in jail. That's not going to happen. I don't know. I don't. I, I'm not sure about that. Um. Um, we've never had an American president quite like this one. We really never have, have we? And, and, and since we've been shattering norms, maybe that's another norm we can shatter. 
That would be a wonderful thing. All right, so I don't, I don't want to stay in this morbidity of, of horrible things after waiting so long to get, okay, so, oh, but I want to go back to the COVID, Justin, have you seen your father? Do you see your dad? I, I saw my father in person. <laughs> I saw dad in person one time during during the pandemic. We met halfway between uh, where, they, where they are down near Carlsbad and, and, and LA. And we had a picnic in a place that we had taken careful pains to figure out a place that we could meet that had picnic tables and uh, and we got there and the place was completely overrun with canadian geese that that had just shit everywhere <laughs> so we, we had to kind of you know wind our way through this park and find a place that wasn't covered in goose crap and we all had our little picnic our picnic sandwiches and uh, and it was lovely to see him, but but the next time I suggested, you know, do we want to try and meet somewhere? It was like, you know, why don't we just have a Zoom meeting and and have you know have have a have a an appetizer on Zoom with each other? So they're they're staying put, and um, and and he he and his wife uh, Suzanne are safe and sound, and um, and actually living a life quite similar to the one. Uh, that 90% of the time they were living before COVID because they're, they're not super social and they, they love to stay cloistered and, and meditate and read and, and they've been doing actually really well. Well, that's good. But I, I did hear that he's not going back to the Kaminsky method and I heard, and you can tell us if this rumor is true that he's not doing it because of COVID safety. Is that true? I think that was part of it. I, I, I think the the schedule had him out uh, on location and and interacting with so many people, uh, you know, in a in a series. He he's not used to having done a lot of series work, mm -hmm. and um, he, he's he had the stamina to do it, but he, he he just felt that the the amount of of the amount of situations that he was going to be in where he didn't feel fully confident in the level of control he was going to be able to have over his own interactions with people. Um, I think it would be different if it was a feature and he was on it for a few weeks and it was one company and he knew where the locations were going to be. But there's so many moving pieces and the schedule changes so often. And I, I think it was just, he just thought the better of it. And so speaking of which, you have made a different decision for yourself because you're about to go back to work yeah so are we allowed to talk about this today i think we are yeah um i, I haven't been told not to mention it yeah I've, I've started work on a new a new show for abc uh called rebel that is uh based on aaron brockovich uh aaron Bro brockovich's life and work and her family um krista burnoff of uh gray's anatomy and station 19 fame um is the showrunner Mm -hmm. And Katie Segal is playing the central character, um, and Andy Garcia is in it as well. And uh, I'm very, very excited about. It. We're 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 uh, a few weeks away from uh, beginning shooting on the first episode. Um, I'm excited to see it. Uh, how? Okay, so how did you have concerns about saying yes because of the state of the world and COVID safety and all of that? You know, I, I agonize over, I, I've always agonized over every decision that involves a long-term commitment to, to a project um, because there's always that feeling of like, I, I think as an actor, you're, you're so geared to, you know, and in this case, as a director as well, geared to 
what what the next thing's going to be and what it'll be like. So there, there's always this excitement when you're making a long-term commitment to something that's all also followed immediately by like, oh my God, I've, I've married myself to something and now, you know, now I know what I'm going to be doing for this amount of time. And uh, so there'll, there'll always be a period of agonizing after that. Mm-hmm. In this case, it was devoid of that because we were at a point uh, you know, without without singing the blues, I, I just really we were at a point financially where I had to say like the next thing that comes along, I kind of got to say yes to, and um, and it, uh, thankfully it was something that I actually was really excited about with people that I respect tremendously. I've worked with Katie before. Yeah, um, we I've actually worked that, yeah. with Krista before. Um, and um, and it it shoots here in town, which which was a you know less and less is something you, you can count on these days. So it really was it really was a gift. And the the risks are the risks are there, but I have to say um, I, I I was made privy to the way that the DGA and SAG AFTRA were working in concert with one another in establishing the protocols for the back to work orders. And, um, and it, it's, it's, I think it's the greatest degree of, of cooperation that those two unions that ever ha- have ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, a- along with IATSE and, um, and from everything I can see, I, I, my, my instinct is that, you know, being on a, a set that, that is taking these things seriously is probably one of the safer places you can be, because um, they are there are there are people whose jobs it is solely to enforce that the protocols are being paid attention to, mm-hmm. and um, and you we're all really being drilled and and encouraged to uh, you know throw ourselves into the learning curve of how to keep ourselves and and the people um, in the show's employ safe. Yeah, um, my son's uh, roommate's working on Goliath, and um, he's a PA, and they've shut down a couple of times because one person got exposed to somebody who might, and they just shut down for a day, and in fact, the director was exposed to someone who might, and so they put him in a trailer, and he was directing from a trailer, Um, so they're being very careful on sets, from what I understand, and I'm sure. I, um, yeah, I, I, I was exposed actually very early on. The last job that I did, um, and I, I won't name names, but I was, I was working, uh, I was working out of town mm-hmm. and uh, we, we finished on a Thursday, flew home and um, w- we were reunited with my son, spent the weekend uh, hanging out, took him to school on Monday and put him, um, this, the whole school was going up uh, to, uh, to uh, Big Bear for a school trip mm-hmm. and uh, put him on the bus. And then Monday night, <clears throat> got a call from somebody that was working on the sound stages in the, in the city we'd been working in, um, saying that he had heard a rumor that, that one of the crew members on the show I was on uh, had tested positive. And this was somebody that we had had a huge amount of interaction with. So 
media immediately had to call his school, let him know what was going on. They they pulled the plug on the whole trip. All the kids came home. Oh. My wife and I were like feeling so guilty and self-conscious. But uh, I said to her at the time, I said, you know, we, we're feeling this now and everybody's going to be like pointing the finger and why did the, you know, this and this happen? I said, I guarantee you in two weeks, nobody's going to remember this because we were able to do the math at that point and, and just calculate in this one instance how many people had gotten on planes and were traveling all over. And we knew that, that we just had a gut sense that the whole thing was going to explode really soon. Um, which well, over the when, it, when was this? Was this early March? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And and sure enough, over the course of the next few weeks, the entire world turned upside down. And and you know we had the the initial lockdown here in LA, and and we were you know we felt like old hands at it by that point because our our quarantine our our quarantine was ending wow. right right as everybody else was going like seriously this is really happening and you're like yeah oh, yeah yeah what what do you do you have hope for the vaccine yeah i do mm -hmm. i i mean i i i think the the plus 90 uh success rate is really encouraging mm -hmm. uh you know fauci who is not somebody that's that's given to being enthusiastic over you know every rumor that comes along seemed really, really impressed with it. And I, I'm still taking a lot of my cues from him. Absolutely. Uh, because go no, I believe in science. Uh, <laughs> I, I just heard somebody say that they, that they're predicting, who was it that's, that I'm having a senior moment that said that life will be back to normal by the end, late spring, that this vaccine is so hopeful. Um, I was just reading today that um, some of the people that tested it got flu-like symptoms. You know, they they were they had fevers and and didn't feel well and all of that stuff. But that beyond that, and the, it turns out the flu vaccines only have a forty to sixty percent success rate. That's it. Yeah. And we yeah. take those, right? We take those. So ninety. Yeah. I guess that's the big concern, though, is how many people will take it. And, and how many people will be able to get access to it and how quickly to. Um, yeah, I, uh, I read something today from, from one of the people that actually had taken the, what was one of the people in the test group that took right. it, I guess, said that the aftermath of taking it was sort of like having a bad hangover. Yes, uh, I read that today too. Um, but the hangover keeps me from having to be put on a ventilator. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Has it has it touched your life personally? Do you know? Do you have friends or family that have gotten sick? Uh, lost a, a uh, somebody that I was friendly with and had worked with a number of times. Uh, oh, sorry about that. That's unfortunate. Uh, the actor uh, Mark Blum, who who passed away pretty early on in, in all of this, um, and I had only worked with him. Um, like a couple months before that uh, in New York. Um, and um, and we know uh, we, we know several people that have gotten it but but did not get um, did, never had to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. um, um, and uh, friends who were 
friends who were riding out the quarantine in New York in a in a small apartment with a, a, a younger child who were eventually just sort of losing their minds and said, you know, we got to get out of here. And they they went down to visit relatives in Florida and um, and finally were able to avail themselves of being in the outdoors and, and, and enjoying not being cooped up in their in their apartment and and the daughter the daughter played freeze tag with the grandmother and she fell and broke her arm I had to go into the hospital and contracted covid when she was in the hospital mm-hmm. and uh and they had a they had a really scary time with all of that but she she ended up pulling through and uh and it ended up being a a, a happy ending to a, a very dramatic series of events Wow. All right. Uh, I'm now thoroughly depressed. So let, let, let's get off of all Good. that. That's what I had hoped to achieve. Yeah, no, it's not I've you. Waited, <laughs> I've waited 11 years to depress the crap out of you. No, I, I've, been, I've been leading you to all these horrible places. We have to talk fun things because, okay, so, we, we, so let's talk about Adam Arkin and, and how you... Uh, how you came to uh, to get into this career of yours? Because okay, so you grew up in show business. So what was that like? I mean, you have two brothers. What was it like being your father's child? I can't even imagine. Your father's made some of the greatest movies of all time. You were privy to all of that. Were you on sets as a kid? Did you live that life? Quite a bit, yeah. But uh, but you know what's funny, Vicky, is that I I. Um... I didn't live one life. I, I, I lived a very, uh, a very frag. I had a very fragmented and um, and kind of uh, schizophrenic childhood. In that, you know, I, I, I my, my mother and father married very young and had me very young. My, my dad was twenty two when I was born. My mother was nineteen. And is your, uh, mother, your mother's name Jeremy? Jeremy, yeah. Wait. Okay, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's um, kind of unusual. Okay. They, they met at Bennington College when Bennington was still an all-girls school, but my dad was there as one of like four or five guys at Bennington College who were there in order to have actors for the drama program there. So wow. he and his genius, you know, found a way <laughs> to be one of five guys at an all-girls school. My mother, my mother took one look at him and fell in love and, and got a hold of his class schedule and managed to plant herself, you know, on, on, the, on the campus where she knew he'd be going from one class to another so they could bump into each other. Wow. And, um, and their marriage uh, lasted a very short time. They, they had me and my brother. And when my brother was still an infant, I was like four and a half. They divorced. My mother went and moved to St. Louis with uh, the, the man that she left my father for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in St. Louis with her and, and my stepfather, who I didn't like or have a good relationship with. And my father at that point was an, a you know, unemployed folk singer. He, he wanted to be an actor, but he had had he had had some success as a as part of a folk trio called the Tarriers, and they had they had had they had had a few hits on the radio and had traveled to Europe and um, wow. and so I would visit my father you know periodically for you know school vacations and summertime, 
but I was living with my mom in St. Louis. And then my stepfather got a job at Cal Poly University in Central California. Mm -hmm. And we moved there. And so from age like eight to 11, I lived in, in, um, in San Luis Obispo and was still going back and visiting my father. And during this time, he, he, got, uh, he got accepted into the company of Second City, one of the earliest companies of Second City, which in the, in the first kind of year that he was there blew up. They got invited onto the David Susskind show. They became like the toast of Chicago and then had a national audience. And out of that, he got his first Broadway show, won a Tony for his first Broadway show, and, got, and, and then got his first movie for which he received a, 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 an Oscar nomination. Okay, wait, what was his first Tony? What was his first Broadway show? Enter Laughing. Oh, oh Carl, Carl, Carl. Yeah, yeah. Carl. And, and yeah. his first his first movie was The Russians Are Coming, which was also Carl Reiner. Yes, uh, starring in it. Um, and uh, and so you know, I, I missed my father terribly. I loved him ter terribly, and 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 wanted nothing more than to be with him. So that was already in the mix. And then right. added to that was the fact that you know, in in that period of of you know, from age four to eleven. Uh, in those seven years, he, he went from being, like I said, an unemployed folk singer to an international film star and, oh and Broadway star. Wow. And, and it was very intoxicating and, and, mm -hmm. and really confusing. Um, and, uh, and then when I, by the time I was 11, my mother's second marriage fell apart. And at that point I said, I, I'm done. I'd always wanted to go and live with my dad full time, but, and this kind of turned up the clock on that. Uh, so at that point, I went back to live with him and then lived full time with him in New York. Um, in the, in, we lived in the West Village in New York, and, and I started going to the professional children's school at that point. And so, you know, so people. When, when, did that, when did that dream start for you? When did you know that's what you wanted to do? I knew very early on that I wanted to act. I, 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 I I think that in my desire to, to have a connection with my father and keep that connection alive and identify myself with him, I, I think, I, I can't help but feel that that molded, you know, my, my inclination towards doing it. I loved being on sets. Uh, I, I had been on the sets of, of every movie that he did during that period. I was there when they were doing The Russians Are Coming. I, I, we were there and, and lived in Mexico during the shooting of Catch-22. Um, and I, 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 learned, I learned how to do everything in Mexico during Catch-22, more, <laughs> more than I should have learned. But, uh, but um, it, it was all, it all felt like home to me because uh, mm -hmm. I'd spent so much time in that environment. And uh, because we lived in the village, uh, we lived on Bank Street, literally like three blocks away from the HB studios in New York, Herbert Burghoff studio. there too. And uh, I, I asked when I was, I think like 12 or 13 years old, if I could start taking, they had, uh, they had classes for, for juveniles there. Mm -hmm. and I started taking classes at the HB studios. I ended up doing some plays at the studio. I did one play that Herbert actually directed. And, wow. 
and um, and I and I was off to the races. By the time I was sixteen, I had an agent. I had I had been in a, I had I had done some commercials and and been in a regional production of something where I played the son to James Whitmore and Audra Lindley. And out of that, the 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 woman who was playing my sister had an agent that, even when we were out of town, was constantly sending her out on stuff. She had to get trains into New York and. And I was like, that that's the sign of a good agent. Like, you know, you're already working and you're out of town and they're still asking you to come in and do stuff and setting up appointments for you. I said, is he going to come see the play? And she said, yes. And I said, would you ask him if he'd maybe keep an eye on me? Uh, like if there'd be any interest. And um, it was John Kimball, Joan, Joan Scott's agency. And they, they signed me, they signed me and, and, um, and that was, I was on my way, you know. Wow. Okay, so the first thing that I saw that you did, and I don't know if this was your first television show, but I saw you did Happy Days. I did, and, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you, uh, so was that your first like score on, on, on a TV show? No, uh, it, it was very early on. Uh, mm -hmm. It was probably one of the first, the, the agency that I signed with mm -hmm. when they signed me in New York had a branch office in LA. And I was still in school in New York, and they and I and I worked sporadically in my my junior and senior year, and they kept saying, you know, when you graduate, you should come out to LA because we really feel like we could get some stuff going for you here. And um, and I um, I had been in a movie in New York that had been written by Joe Bologna and, and Renee Taylor called oh. Made for Each Other. What? Yeah, and the 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 film had it was kind of their story, and it had flashbacks of of both of them, mm -hmm. and I played Joe in in all of the flashbacks in the film. Wow! And Joe's father in that movie was played by Paul Sorvino, and Paul Sorvino said, you know, that he was doing something in L.A. and they, they needed to cast the role of my son and he kind of put in a word for me. And so I ended up doing a couple of jobs with Paul Sorvino when I first came to Los Angeles. Uh, but, but, but Happy Days was, was definitely one of the first like four or five things I did, yeah. And uh, did that, um, because it was so iconic that it was so huge. Happy Days was so enormous, and it started a relationship. You had a relationship ongoing with Gary, I, I gather. Um, um, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't really have an ongoing relationship with Gary. I, I and and the Happy Days wasn't was not Gary behind Bust and Loose. Wasn't his production company behind Bust and Loose? I, I don't know if his production company was. I know that that Lowell Gans and Mark Rothman, who both were proteges of Gary's. Uh, were the creators of the show. Whether or not it was Gary Marshall's production company, I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. It, it, it's, mm -hmm. There certainly was a lot of cross-pollinization and, uh, and we were all shooting at Paramount. Um, but you know, when I did that episode of Happy Days, it was so early on in the life of that show that it had not become iconic yet. It, oh. At that point, it, it, I think in the first, for the first full season, they didn't shoot it with an audience. They shot it, um, like I think they shot it as a single camera show. 
Mm-hmm. Um, or if it was multi-camera, it was it was not a live multi-camera. There was no audience there. So um, the 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 show became much more of a phenomenon in in the latter part of that season or or in subsequent seasons. Um, so I was really happy to get the gig and I was excited about it, but it wasn't it wasn't yet the the iconic show that it became. When did a, a and old I am. <laughs> Not only was I on Happy Days, I was on Happy Days before anybody knew what Happy Days was. That's, well, I yeah. think you're still younger than me, so I, I have no sympathy for it. I think you're actually a year younger than I am. I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. The, the, the scripts were in cuneiform. That's, that's... <laughs> I, I just got my, Medica- my Medicare card. I mean, it, it's crazy stuff. It's, surreal. it's a surreal experience, isn't it? it it is. The whole thing is just bizarre that this is happening. But you know, the alternative is worse. So it's I'm happy with it. So, okay. So you so you did happy days. It's not really by, happy. Days. By alternative, you mean perpetual youth? I disagree. No, perpetual. I'll go for the perpetual youth. I'll go. <laughs> or the mind goes and you forget. That's fine too. Um, so when did it kick in? That okay. Was there ever a thing? I'm Alan Arkin's son. I mean. Was that a thing for you or was that never a thing for you? Did, did it get in your way? Did it help you? Was it a non, did it not influence things at all? What, what was I, the deal with that? I don't have any other frame of reference, you know? I, 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 I um, you know, I, I wanted constantly to think that it, it didn't have any effect mm-hmm. on on my you know on my good fortune. I wanted to feel that I was making my own way, um, but I but I also think look look as I've said to a lot of people you know when you're auditioning for an important role one one that is really worth you know coveting it's going to tend to be in a project where. It's, it gets harder and harder to imagine somebody saying at the end of the audition process, you know, as they've read everybody, God, you know, this guy was really, really great. He, he clicked so many boxes and he came in and he just hit it out of the park. But, but this guy was Alan Arkin's son. Let's give mm-hmm. him the role because, because what? Because the fact that you're Alan Arkin's son is going to make more people come see the project. I, I just, I don't... Uh, I don't think that goes on a lot, and yet at the same time, there is there there is a kind of confidence I think that's built by a, a, a knowledge of how things work. If you've been paying attention, and right. the ability the ability to call somebody and ask for advice, um, or or you know even something like early on before I had an agent, there were people that that. That, that were in communication, it just in my circle of communication that could say, you know, they're casting this thing that you should see if, if you can get in on, even though you don't have representation, you should at least see if they'll let you go in and read. You know, just, just that kind of access to, to opportunities that, that will allow you to then create your own good fortune. But, but you know, just and people are very quick to point out the nepotism in show business because it involves the names of people that you're very familiar with 
But my, my father's often talked about the fact that in every business in the world, there is a family business. People go into the same family business. It's just that when it's, you know, when it's Jameson's plumbing company, people don't go like, ah, that freaking guy never had to do anything in his life because he, <laughs> he got to be a plumber because uh, his dad's a plumber. It, it, so it, it's a complicated question and it's one that, you know, once I think once I got into my 40s, it's it's a question I stopped asking myself quite as often. I think a long time point, before like, that you could stop asking that question. But. I, but but at a certain point, it's like, you know, who really gives a crap at the end were of the day? Were you ever up for a role? Were you ever, like, I don't know the answer to this. Did you ever work with your dad? I don't know that you, did you ever? I've worked with him a lot. Yeah, I've worked okay, with him a lot. I don't know this. So, so how did that work? Well, like, what's the first thing you did with your dad? You know? I slept. <laughs> you know, you know how this business works. Um, no. um, the the uh, well, the very first the very first thing I ever did with him was a short film mm -hmm. called People Soup um, that that Dad wrote and directed, and um, it was back in the day when short films would actually play before the feature film in a theater. And um, it was dad's first directorial effort. And it starred me and my brother. It was based on a short story that he had written when he was uh, in his teens. Wow. Uh, about uh, his, then, his then younger brother and sister. And he made it to two brothers because it was my brother and I doing a kitchen experiment. Uh, and, and it looks like it's all fun and games and silly and you're, we're using everything in the kitchen and then it actually works. It turns us into animals. My brother turns into a chicken and I turn into a sheepdog. And then at the, at, at the end of the film, we turn back and the, the last dialogue in the film is my brother, we're walking to go get ice cream and my brother says, you wanna, you wanna, do, you wanna make some more of that stuff tomorrow? And I said, not the same stuff. He says, you wanna make something different? I said, yeah, maybe. He goes, an atom bomb? I was like, okay, but we gotta get some more applesauce. And that was the, that was the end of the film. Well, that little movie uh, actually got nominated for an Academy Award for best short, short subject. And, uh, and then we've worked together probably about a dozen times in different uh, permutations since then. I, I've, I've acted with him, I've been directed by him uh, on stage and, in, and, and on film. And, um, and then I got to direct him. Uh, he came on and did a, a, a uh, he did a guest shot on uh, Get Shorty actually. And uh, so, so we, we, we've run the gamut. So um, film like acting together, what, what, I don't know why I don't know this. What, what have you acted together in? He came on and did uh, an episode of Busting Loose uh, where he played my grandfather. Oh. Uh, I played his father on an episode of Captain Kangaroo. <laughs> uh, and then we acted together in a, in a film that my stepmom, Barbara, Barbara Dana, wrote a, a film called Choo Choo and the Philly Flash that starred dad and Carol Burnett. And, uh, and then he directed, he directed the whole family actually in a, in a uh, production of Maxwell Anderson's Joan of Lorraine. Um, and um, I actually saw today a video of your dad singing for Carol. And oh, yeah. 
I had no idea. He had, he has a great, he's like, he was he's a real, great for it. like, I, now you tell me about this folk thing that he had going on at the beginning, but I had no idea. He was like Frank Sinatra. He was unbelievably cool. And yeah, he, he I mean, he, he wasn't interested in musical theater per se, but, but had he been, I think he could have been a huge Broadway musical huge. star. Uh, and, and for people that are interested, uh, the, the group that he was a part of, the, the trio, the Terriers, mm -hmm. um, their, their recordings are available on Spotify and they're, they're really worth a listen. They were really good. Um, wow. Uh, yeah, very kind of Calypso-oriented folk trio. Um, they, they, uh, it was Dad and Eric Darling and uh, their bass player was Ron Carey, I believe was his name. African-American guy. So they, they, at that time, they, they couldn't play in, in half the clubs in the country. Um, Were they playing in the little clubs in the, in the, in the village? Were they doing like? Yeah, but they also were on a, they, they went on a European tour as well. They were, they, 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 they played in Paris and, uh, and they had a couple of, of actually significant hits on the radio for a while. Uh, 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 the Banana Boat song, which, which they, uh, th there's a whole, uh, there's a whole back and forth about, about Harry Belafonte's version versus the Terrier's version that, that's too complicated for me to even understand. But they had a big hit with the, the Banana Boat song. And then they also had another song called Cindy O oh Cindy that, 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 that was big. But their albums are, are available on Spotify. They're worth, worth a listen. That's really cool. And so speaking of singing and musical theater, do you have background in that? Because I I never missed an episode of Chicago Hope, but I could have completely forgotten that you sang on one. So um, Luck Be a Lady. Yeah. So was musical, was that part of your training, your upcoming? Did you do musical theater? No, well, yes and no. The, 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 very little musical theater I did. I skipped all the hard work that people devote to towards having a career in that realm. And, um, and I got to actually play Nathan Detroit on Broadway for about two months. Oh my God. Uh, in, in a brilliant production of it. Um, it was the, it was the revival that, that, uh, Jerry Zachs directed with, with Faith Prince and Nathan Lane. And I was in New York at the time and I auditioned for Jerry for another play, a, uh, a David Henry Wang play. And I felt really good about the audition. And I left that audition and was on my way back to uh, Grand Central. I was gonna go back to uh, our, the Westchester house we were living in and, um, and I get a call from my agent and, they, and I'm thinking like, wow, that was fast. This is probably a good sign. And I, I said, what's going on? They were like, well, we have bad news and good news. I'm like, okay, what's the bad news? I said, the, the bad news is it's probably not gonna happen on the David Henry Wang play. And what's the good news? The good news is they're, they're interested in, in seeing if you'd come in to read for Nathan Detroit in Guys and Dolls. And I'm like, what? And, and I'm like, what, what's going on? The, the show was a huge hit. And, and it was I already, saw it actually, not with you. I did see it. Oh my God. It, it, yeah, it had already been on. It had been playing, I think for about six or seven months already. Uh -huh. And, and, and uh, it turned out that Nathan 
had a film commitment that, that he had been cleared to do. And their original plan was to just have the understudy go on while he went off and did this movie. But as, as the date approached, they, they started feeling like they, they, the understudy was a very talented fellow who was covering like three different roles. And he, and he was, he, he would have been fine in any of them, but he, but he wasn't totally, completely any one of them totally. And they wanted to get somebody in there. And they also, I think they also wanted to be able to um, get a little publicity bump by having somebody with a, a some kind of a recognizable name, which at that point I still had. And, uh, <laughs> and they, uh, they, I said to them like, do they know that I haven't done a, any musical before? And they said, yeah. They said, well, but, but can you sing? I said, I, you know, I, I, can, I can't sing Broadway sing. I don't have that kind of a leading Broadway voice. But then I started thinking like Sam Levine created the character on Broadway. And then there was part of me feeling like, maybe I can sing as well as Sam Levine. I don't know. You know? And, uh, and I said, are they seeing a lot of people? And they said, right now it's a list of one. And, and, and I was like, okay, yeah. I said, I'm open to it, sure. Like, what, what do I have to do? They said, well, they'd like you to prepare a song and come in, uh, I think it was the next day or, or two days later. So I, I, I happened to know the song Million Dollar Baby because I had done it in a, a review of, of, um, of Waiting for Lefty that had musical interludes in it. So I knew the song and I felt like that's kind of like character-y a little bit, like I could, you know, it was like April shower and, you know, so I got the music for that and I worked on it and, and I went in an audition and, um, and the audition went okay. And, and Jerry, Jerry's acts at the end of it goes, you know, I want to, he says, that's very good, very good. I, I, I just, uh, I just, we'll make a decision soon. I want to just think about some stuff. And I said, okay, can I ask you what, what, what you're thinking about? And he goes, yeah, he says, it's just a question of the, of like the size, you know, it like, it, it's such a big show. And it's, it, I said, well, I said, you know, you're not asking me, but I, I'm, I, I, this is all really new. You've been watching the show up, huge hit production of it. I can get there and I've done work of that size before. And he goes, yeah, well, like in what? And I was like, well, I did, you know, I Hate Hamlet was a big comedic kind of role. and Nominated for a Tony for you. Yeah. And he said, oh yeah, that's right. That's true, that's true. He says, well, yeah, so that's a good point. And I said, okay. He says, yeah, he says, well, we'll make a decision quickly. And I started to leave and I don't know what possessed me but I turned around and I said, can I ask you a huge favor? And he goes, yeah, sure, what? And I said, don't cast me in this unless you're 100% sure that I can do it. And he goes, why are, you, why are you saying that to me? And I said, because right now, I'm sure I can do it. But when I have two weeks to go on in this, there's going to come a point where I'm going to ask myself, what the hell did I do? <laughs> And if I don't, if I don't have your absolute confidence, I don't want to do it. And he was like, okay, good to know. And I left the theater, sort of making my way towards 8th Avenue. And the stage manager called me back and said, hey, hey, come back, come back, come back. And I, I came back into the theater and Jerry was like, I want you to do this. And two weeks later, I was on stage, like, wow, wrapping my pants. 
Vicky, I, I, I never, I, I mean, I had to learn the role, the choreography, the songs, and I, I never had a rehearsal with the orchestra. My first time ever in my life singing with an orchestra was in front of an audience of whatever it was, seven, 800 people. It was, it was like skydiving. I was terrified. How did you not have a rehearsal? You were rehearsing to a track? What, what, what were you? No, I was rehearsing with the accompanist and, and the musical director, but, but you know, the piano player was there and- um, Oh my God. But, but you know, it, it, as with everything else, it's, it's all business, you know? So th they're not gonna call a full orchestra in for rehearsal when they wow. don't have So- um, what was and that opening night for you like? Oh my God. It, it, was, it was one of the best nights I've ever had in my life. Uh, and, and, that, and that's not that's not by way of saying that I was particularly great, but 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 the show, I, I didn't screw up the show. <laughs> I didn't screw up the show. And I was, you know, I got my laughs. The the show went without any major hitches at all. And I, I have never had an experience uh, before or since professionally where I felt more enveloped by, by a company. I, 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 I mean, the, 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 that company was extraordinary. Uh, J.K. Simmons was, you know, uh, Benny Southstreet. Uh, Walter Bobby was, um, I'm forgetting the character's name, but the, 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 the guy who sings uh, uh, Sit Down Your Rock in the Boat. Oh. Uh, and, and, uh, Walter Bobby, who, who's gone on to become a, a hugely successful uh, Broadway director. Um, Faith Prince was a- I a love her so much. It was, she was a revelation. And, and it, it's like, I could do no wrong because I had the, the, these bodyguards around me on stage. Uh, Tom Wopat was playing Sky at that point. He was extraordinary. Um, and it was just, what just year was that, Adam? Um, I want to say it was like 93 or four. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was one of the, one of the, it was a real, really extraordinary experience. And, um, and, uh, it, it was scary trying to fill Nathan's shoes, which I, I never did. I mean, there's nobody that can fill his shoes. Um, but it was um, it was an amazing experience, yeah. And any have you done any since then? I did. Um, I did a, a uh, oh, what was the name of those that series of productions that were done uh, book in hand, the musicals. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm forgetting what the name of that encores, uh, the encore series um, that were done. Um, I, I think it was at Lincoln Center. Or, yeah, Lincoln Center, huh? Uh, Walter Bobby directed a production of Fiorello that I did, um, and then I did a uh, I did a recording for a Gershwin album of of like lesser known Gershwin Broadway show Broadway tunes. Um, that was a, a, a huge amount of fun with, with, with some really legitimate, great Broadway voices, Greg Edelstein. And um, so that was my little window of about a year and a half where, where musical theater became a little part of my life, but not since then.
And the, the, the producers on, on uh, you, you mentioned Chicago Hope, the producers on Chicago Hope, part of the idea for that came out of their knowing I had done Guys and Dolls. Um, but they, of course, had me doing, you know, Luck Be a Lady, which is a whole different, that, that, having to sing Luck Be a Lady is different from going, you know, sue me, sue me. <laughs> It's a, that's a that's a different thing. That's, I have to watch the video again now that I have this context. I enjoyed the hell out of it watching it this afternoon. I had completely forgotten there was a musical version of that. Um, so so Adam, so when you got your first uh, starring gig on TV, when you got Bustin' Loose, at what point did you did did that change your did that change your life? It had to be a, kind of a changer, a life changer for you, no? Uh. You know, my life changed so much when I moved out to LA, you know, the, the, the minute I moved out to LA and realized that, that I was actually going to be able to do this, mm -hmm. that, that felt like a much more seismic change. Than, okay, wait than, a minute. Were you, were you a struggling New York actor? No, I, I, I had been going to high school. I mean, I, I literally you got that young when that happened. Yeah, yes. Oh. I, I was, I mean, I think when I did, um, I, I turned 19 the, yeah. summer, the summer that I graduated high school. And, um, and uh, so, you know, just, just having an agent and moving to LA and being on my own and realizing like, oh, I am actually going to get jobs. I am actually going to be able to support myself doing this. That felt like a bigger seismic change. Busting loose certainly felt like a big deal at the time. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You never had to struggle. Did you ever have to have a real job, like a job outside of being an actor? Were you just like successful right from the get-go? I was a I I I had like summer jobs. I, I worked as a camp counselor and I worked in an editing house, like delivering delivering reels of film in in midtown Manhattan. Um, for a summer. But um, you were basically a working actor as soon as you got out of high school? I was a working actor in high school. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, sporadically. But I mean, uh, making a living? Like, when did you start making your living as an actor? Supporting well, yourself? Well, between, uh, between the commercials that I did mm -hmm. and the summer job I did, um, the summer before I graduated, I, I had enough money to bankroll my move to LA. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I, I had earned enough money to move to LA, get my first apartment. And, um, and my first apartment uh, was because I was new to LA. I had spent time there. My grandparents lived in LA, so I knew it peripherally, but but I didn't know it well enough to get around and I had never lived there being able to drive myself anywhere. So all of that I had to learn when I got out here. Um, but my agent was aware of the fact that, that I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And she said, we, we have two other clients that are in the same boat. They're both moving out to LA. You guys should all team up together and find a place together. Mm -hmm. So that's, that is what we did. So my, my roommates when I first moved out to LA were Michael O'Keefe the the brilliant actor yeah, and uh, yeah, remained friends with ever since and um, oh, and the the writer Mark Frost who has gone on to 
be a novelist and, and David Lynch's writing partner on, on Twin Peaks. The three of us were all roommates when we, and we, we, had, a, we had a deal. We, we all had the same agent. Mm -hmm. and, um, and if any of us booked a gig, we had to take the other two out for some kind of celebratory thing. So, you know, Michael would come back and say like, I'm doing an episode of MASH. We're going out to get Mexican food or, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I was, I was, I've never done anything really except this, this business. And you've done, I, running down your IMDb, I mean, you were in so many series before, but you became I, A Year in the Life. I don't know that series, but it, it was running for, you had like, and tough cookies. I mean, I don't know these things, but you, you had regular work, teachers only. You were working yeah. a yeah. lot. Um, yeah. Of everything you just mentioned, a year in the life was was actually a really special project. Um, it was created by Josh Brand and John Falsey, who went on to create Northern Exposure, and it and had come out of the uh, the Saint Elsewhere world. Mm -hmm. um, they they were writers on Saint Elsewhere, and they they created this show, A Year in the Life, which was about it, it was originally a mini series that then became a series. And the miniseries took an American family uh, over the course of one calendar year and everything that happened to that family over the course of that year. And it starred uh, Richard Kiley, uh, wow. Eva, Eva Marie Saint was in wow. the, was in the, um, the miniseries and uh, Jane Atkinson, uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, wow. Uh, wonderful cast and 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 it got incredible reviews richard kiley won the emmy for it wow and by the time he had won it uh the show had already been canceled so he got up and made this kind of blistering speech about the the corporate myopia that ended a very fine show um and um and then i had played a really conservative not, I mean, not conservative, but a kind of buttoned up um, family man on that show. And Josh and John, uh, the producers, the, the creators of the show, got to know me a little bit and said at one point, uh, you're actually out of your mind, aren't you? And I was like, yeah, I sort of am. And they're like, we, we got to find something to write to that at some point. And, uh, and after a year in the life went off the air, I, I, I got this script in the mail saying, you know, they're, they're doing this show. It's a summer replacement show about a town in Alaska. And, and, uh, and they had written this character named Adam and, uh, and, and, and offered My it to character me. it was. My yeah. Um, so I'm trying to, to remember, when was your first, like now I can walk into a restaurant and everybody knows who I am. Was it Northern Exposure? Like now people know my face and I'm... No. Um, I, you know, the, the, the first time that happened <clears throat> in any way that felt um, anything other than a, a kind of an, an anomaly what was, was actually Chicago Hope. Well, Chicago Hope, you were, but from you were huge. I mean, that was yeah. huge. It was uh, huge. It, it, it wasn't huge, but it was a hit. The ER was huge. ER was this phenomenon, you know. 
Uh, and it was unfortunate because Chicago Hope, you know, Chicago Hope had, had a run of six years. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, the standard line I said was, you know, we, we had to settle for being a hit. And, 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 and ER was just this kind of, you know, once in a decade kind of like what the hell you know it's just mm -hmm. so hugely successful that um and, and it was unfortunate because chicago hope got compared to er constantly and it in a kind of monday morning quarterbacking the network tried to retool it to be a little more like er and i think it lost a lot of its original identity you know so the original premise of the show was you know just simply what what happens in the greatest hospital in the world mm -hmm. you, you know the hospital where if you've got the most rare problematic illness anywhere this is the place you want to be and you know it 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 started becoming some kind of a hybrid when they they tried to compete with er and i don't think it ever really succeeded in that I have no memory of it shifting focus like that. I, I loved it the whole way through, but that's interesting. Now I want to go back and binge it. And speaking of binging, so I started binging The West Wing for the first time uh, recently, and then came to season three, and there you were. And oh. what a phenomenal character arc you have in that show. So memorable. And um, did you know when you were doing it that that, did that feel like something special? I knew when, when I knew when I got the script for it that that it was uh, it was an extraordinary hour of television we were going to be doing. Like uh, I, I I felt like I mean Aaron Sorkin is a genius and uh, and I I think you know I, I think Noel is an example of that that the name of that episode is Noel and and the the episode that introduced that character is him on his game as much as anything I've seen of his and 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 it was also just a character that I I I wanted to be that guy not not I didn't want to play him I wanted to be that guy I just <laughs> felt like you know, th there there was a there was such a kind of um relaxed expertise and authority to that guy and 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 the ability to be a a, a profound of profound service to somebody uh, mm -hmm. And I, I just thought, you know, what a great opportunity. And it just felt like this brilliant one act play, you know? It, uh, was, it, it, it played like a play, it yeah. really did. The layers of that. And, and, and then, you know, to get to work in an episode with Yo-Yo Ma, come on. I, like, you know, I was just gonna say that, oh my God. Wow. You know, they just did the, uh, the West Wing, they just did a special thing for the election. Did you, did you see it? I'm ashamed to say I didn't know. I, I, I've been I've been immersed in in kind of preparing for this new uh, this new project, and I, I haven't watched as much as I should. It's it's very it, it was really beautifully done because they took an episode from uh, from the third season, and that was a pre-election thing, and they did it as a teleplay sort of thing, and they brought back the original cast, except for John Spencer, of course, and Sterling K. Brown played him, but. Um, but it was, uh, I forgot what my point was about that. But anyway, it was just lovely to see everybody, you know, it was such a, Sorkin's writing and everything is just so extraordinary. That, that whole... He's a phenomenal talent. I mean, uh, if you, if you, have you seen Trial of Chicago 7 yet? I have not, I have Holy not. Crap, it's great, it's really great. 
across oh, the board. That's what I was going to say. Yo-Yo Ma was going to be in this that the the this new episode, but he oh, didn't yeah. wouldn't travel because of COVID, uh, from what I understand. Yeah, but uh, going to put Yo-Yo Ma in it, and they didn't ask me to join. <laughs> I um, now I'm hurt. I mean, well, I, I, I don't think you were in that episode, but well, I know I'm not much of a cello player, but goddamn it. <laughs> so, so what what other things for you, Adam? I mean, you've you've done. I'm going down the list here. The amount of work that you've done is crazy. Eight simple rules. You bought. Okay, so you've worked with David Kelly a lot. So obviously, you must have a relationship with him. I'm assuming. Um, uh, a, I have. I mean, I have a. a, a professional collaborative history with him I, I don't I don't I don't think I've said you know more than you know 20 sentences to the guy over the time I've known him um, but he's been very good to me um, I've, I've, I've worked on I've, I've acted and directed on a number of his shows um, and um, and I'm actually doing a recurring role on a, a show he's got going on right now called Big Shot with John Stamos. Um, he Stamos plays a uh, a basketball coach, and I play his agent on the show. Um, um, you didn't get but, to be in The Undoing. You could have been. You could have been Nicole Kidman's. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm loving David Kelly's show right now. Uh, I could have been Nicole Kidman's craft service guy. Oh, speaking of what you cook, are you, are you you're into food? You cook? I love cooking. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not. Um, you know, I wouldn't consider myself like a a specialized gourmet of any kind. But I can. I can. I can throw down. You can throw down. You were. You, you, I, I like that. I, I like a man who can cook. Uh, so, what else for you has? I'm. I'm looking down this list. What are some of the things that have stood out for you as being highlights for me? Yeah. Yeah. What would have been some of your favorite things, your favorite roles? And, and also, I wanted to ask you how you got into direct. When was when did you start directing? Um, I, you know, interesting enough, we were talking about a year in the life. I, I as early as even before a year in the life, I had done an episode of uh, St. Elsewhere. And uh, and I asked the folks at St. Elsewhere if they'd be open to my shadowing a, a little bit and, and, and learning. And they were. And uh, I did that for a spell, and then um, and then when a year in the life happened, I I asked right at the beginning of that if if I could make that a part of my my duties, if I could just have access to showing up at meetings and shadowing, and 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 they said yes, but the show was canceled uh, too quickly for me to get an opportunity to direct. But the, some of the credit carried over a little bit into the next job I did with them, which was Northern Exposure. And, and that ended up being the first episode I got to direct. Um, and um, and that, was a, that was a big deal. I mean, a, a huge gift they gave me to, to get to do one of those. And, um, and then it was something I started putting in whenever I could, I started putting it into my deal. So, when I when I did by the in Chicago Hope, I I started asking if if in success that was something that they would be amenable to, uh, and they were. So I ended up directing over the life of the show. I ended up doing three episodes of that. Mm -hmm. 
um, episodes of the show Life uh, that I did with Damian Life Lewis. was like a real big deal. Um, um, and then, uh, and then there was a transition, I guess, around, I want to say about 14, 15 years ago, where all of a sudden I was getting directing opportunities on shows that I had no association with as an actor. And, and it started becoming a kind of separate, a separate career, independent of my acting career. Um, and now I, it's come full circle in that there, there have been many cases where I've been directing on something and the producers get the idea of like, hey, you know what, you should just play the, the role of this guy. And so it's, it's kind of come full circle. So you've been prim primarily directing lately? I mean, Get Shorty took a big... Much, much more directing than acting over the past, I'd say, seven, six, seven years, yeah. And is that, does that please you? It does. I mean, listen, being a moving target pleases me. You know, getting opportunities to learn pleases me and being employed and being able to make a living pleases me. Mm -hmm. um, I do find myself missing acting uh, sometimes when, when a lot of time goes by and I haven't done any of it. Um, and I, I think I, I was naive and thinking that, you know, being able to work in both fields would be something that, that you know, my agents and representation would be excited about. Mm -hmm. But in fact, sometimes it's, it's a source of frustration because my acting agents are like, you know, when the hell are you going to be free for us to submit you for stuff? And, uh, and my directing agent, you know, wants to be able to book me for as much of the season as he can. So it's like, it, it, it's, uh, the important thing is to constantly be in a state of turmoil about some decision you've made. I've managed to, I've managed to achieve that for my entire life. How about when you do like one-offs, like on Frasier, and, and then you get nominated for an Emmy Award? Like, it seems like you would be ripe for the picking for those kinds of things. I mean, was that was that great fun to do? It was a lot of fun, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the character was insane, and, uh, and the two of them were really lovely. Uh, Kelsey and David Hyde Pierce were, were very... Uh, they, they, they were very welcoming and, and fun to work with. How about, does the stage call to you at all? I mean, I know there's not the money in it, but. Well, Vicki, it's not all about the money. <laughs> uh, um, I, I, would, I, I would be sad if I didn't get to be on stage again at some point in my life. I, I, I would love to do that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you done it out in LA? I mean, I know you've done it in New York. Yeah, I, I actually, uh, I've done a few productions in LA. I, 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 um, I did one of the first productions at the, uh, in the original L, uh, um, LATC, that when it first opened downtown, we did a, um, a production of a William Master Simone play called uh, Nana Watai about a, a group of uh, Russian tank uh, soldiers stuck being chased by the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, what else did I do in Los Angeles? A production of uh, John Guare's Rich and Famous at the Coronet mm -hmm. Theater that, that was great fun and uh, a few other things here and there. Uh, 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 
wonderful play called Wenceslas Square uh, by, uh, by Larry Shue. Um, the, the, uh, but this is a, going back a long time ago. Yeah. You did a play, The Brooklyn Boy, yeah, in New York. In New York, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, your, your body of work is, is so varied. And um, how, did, how did your relationship with Ken Burns start? How did that happen? Purely through uh, a, a, a request to do some recording for him. I think the first thing that I did recordings on was, uh, I can't remember, I think it was baseball. Uh, so I was I was one of of a, a large company of, of you know actors and actresses that 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 did uh, readings of, of you know various letters and and articles in that and uh, and then he just kept bringing me into subsequent projects and and I and then ended up having me do um, the voice of Meriwether Lewis in uh, the Lewis and Clark documentary so that was. That was the first one on which I was sort of like, my voice was featured in any kind of a major way. It was uh, Matthew Broderick uh, did Clark's voice. I did Lewis's. Um, although we, we didn't work together in, in, in real time, but uh, that, was a, that was a trip. And, and then um, subsequently got to go to the White House, the, the, uh, the uh, Clinton White House because there was a special event around that there that was kind of an extraordinary experience. And so still doing Law and Order. I, you've done a lot of Law and Order stuff, haven't you? It, it seems to come up. A uh, lot. I've done, well, I've, I've done, I guess now a total of three if you count SVU. Um, you know, yeah, three that's the most recent, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you write, Adam? I don't know this about you. I, I don't. Uh, the, the only writing I've ever done was uh, a, a kind of uh, a, a frantic rewrite of a film that my father was in. He, he agreed to do this movie up in Canada. And when he got there, they, they had not delivered on, on stuff that they had said they would do. And he was panicky and frustrated about it and they said you know would you like to take a crack at it and he said yeah I would and he called me and said you know will you come up here and we can lock ourselves in a hotel room and come up with a draft of this that's better than what's here so I, I did that with him but that was mainly like pacing back and forth in the hotel room and improvising with my father wow um, somebody asked um, about your relationship with Hector Elizondo in, in, in Chicago Hope um, uh, we got along. <clears throat> I guess was he was he a mentor to I, I don't know I'm, I'm, I, I like raced past the question. Uh, Hector Hector I, I guess in ways he was a mentor. Yes, I, I mean Hector is somebody that I've known for over half my life, and I had known him bef even before Chicago Hope. Mm -hmm. um, he was friendly with my father and friends of our family. Um, and uh, and I loved working with him and and consider him a friend. I haven't seen as much of him since Chicago Hope as I wish I had, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I I always think very fondly on him. And we we would have a ball on Chicago Hope because we both are uh, wannabe percussionists. So we we 
we'd have our, our conga drums set up in our trailers and we'd, we'd have jam sessions while they were lighting. <laughs> nice. Is there anything else that you have yet to do that uh, you dream about? Mushrooms. No. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I would very much like to direct a small feature. Um, I, 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 I'd really love to be, um, I'd love to be in control of something from its inception and, and see it through to completion. Um, I, 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 I have not had that experience and I, I, I would love it. And I, I feel like I know enough now that, that, that I could do that and, and have some fun doing it. And I, I also know the right people to call on, you know, like I, 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 I had the good fortune on Get Shorty of, of being allowed to um, really have an influence on, on who the crew was going to be on that and, uh, and got to push to, to hire people that I, I thought were not only great at their jobs, but that would work really well with one another. Um, and that, that proved to be the case. And I found that tremendously gratifying, you know, it just um, getting a hand in creating a company like that was very exciting to me. Um, um, and I, and um, I guess, you know, an adjunct of that would be, I would like to, I, I would like I'd like to direct pilots. I, I, I feel like that's more akin to, you know, being in on the ground floor of actually creating the look and feel and style of something. I, I've, I've become very good at, I think, assimilating an existing style and finding a way to, to um, work within those lines. But, but I, I, I'd like to, I'd like to be a, at the next level of, of creativity around all of that. How about as an actor, Adam? Is there, if you were to have your, if you could do anything, I mean, I, I don't know. It, does anything call to you? Would you like to do film? Would you like to do more TV? Would you like just to? Like, I just like to continue to work with really great people. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's like, it, it's, you know, more than the individual role. It's it's the experience of, of feeling like you're, you're in circumstances that are asking you to step up, you know, and um, I would like to have more of those experiences, you know. Um, you were asking like for highlights, you know, it, it was, <clears throat> I've been very lucky because I've had a lot of just out of the blue surprising experiences that, 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 um, that have forced me to grow. Like and, well, Guys and Dolls was a perfect example of it. It, it was not something I was pursuing, but, but once it became a, an opportunity, it, it forced me to grow in ways that I hadn't even been thinking about taking on. And, and uh, so I, I guess that's also the other thing that I'm very drawn to is, is the unexpected and the ability to be thrown into circumstances that just force you to evolve. You straddle the line between drama and comedy effortlessly, it appears. Do you have a preference? No. 
No, I, I really like both. And, and one of the thing, one of the many things I'm grateful to my father for was, was his, um, you know, his, his attitude that, it, you know, it's the job of, of, of a craftsman to, to understand the, the, the demands of, of the style in which they're working, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and, and I'm, I'm just drawn to people that have that kind of mastery over stuff. And I, I just, you know, I, I look at a filmmaker like Sidney Lumet and, you know, unlike a lot of great filmmakers, you don't, you don't look at a Sidney Lumet film and after four or five shots go like, oh, I know this is Sidney Lumet because he, he would immerse himself completely in the style that, that the material was demanding. And, mm -hmm. and I think his body of work is, is absolutely fascinating for that reason. And that's not to say that more stylized directors aren't, aren't brilliant, but I, 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 I sort of have always, I guess, aspired to that. Um, Cause I, I guess somewhere I think of myself more as kind of a yeoman, like wannabe craftsman rather than an artist with some specific thing I have to say which so I'm not it comes less about you and more about the the project that you're helming it sounds like I guess so yeah I guess so uh, the the funny thing is that I guess if you know when you end up reviewing the body of work of anybody that's approached things th that way there there is something that's that tends to emerge in terms of a, a, an identity mm -hmm. but I, I couldn't in a million years tell you what that is for myself <laughs> well I love your identity as all the things that it is. And thank you so, you know, it really has been 11 years. I looked it up. It was exactly this time of year in 2009 that I first asked you to do Women Who Write. You actually said yes to me to, do, to come into the living room and do Women Who Write years ago. And then you got a job and that was the end of that. But um, I kind of trapped you this time. I don't know if everybody knows how I got you to do this. I, I made this dream list of people that I wanted to interview and it, it was Sting and Hillary Clinton and all these people and Adam Arkin and, and, and it was act, actually true. And I meant, every, I, I totally meant it. And it, you've been, a, you have been the hardest get I've ever got. That's the truth. And I've had Norman Lear here and Gary Marshall and Carl Reiner and all kinds of people, but, and I, I chased Mickey Dolenz before. I have not chased anybody as long as I have chased you. That, so really, I mean, I'm, I'm honored, but I'm also like really kind of horrified <laughs> because with the, list, with the list of people that you had me on, I was like, who that, that was part of why I did it. Cause I looked at that list, who the fuck do I think I am for God's sake? Just say yes and do the show for God's sake. Um, and I'm very happy that I did. I, 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 I feel a little self-conscious talking about myself for this long, but, but thank you for inviting me on and thank you for not giving up on me. No, I, I'm so grateful that you did it and thank you so much. And I've just been such a fan for so long. And what's been lovely is to get to know you as a human being uh, from Facebook and just being able to watch your posts and you as a family man, you as a concerned citizen, all of this stuff has just, um, you've just impressed me as much as a person as you have as an artist. And I thank you for your body of work, which I've enjoyed so much and continue to. And, um, and, and thanks so much for finally saying yes. Thank you. <laughs> I feel a little less pathetic today.
please don't don't feel I, I'm the one who should feel pathetic. Let's agree. Let's agree, both of us. Enough with the enough with the pathetic. Let's all right. Enough with let's feel good about ourselves tonight. All right, I plan on doing that. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch more you. I've been watching a lot of you today and enjoying the hell out of it. Adam, thank you so much. Stay safe. I hope that uh, I look forward to seeing the rebel. Um, what's the projection as to when that might be something we can view? I should know the answer to that, and I'm ashamed to say I don't right off the top of my head, but I, I will let you know when, when they plan on airing it. I know they have a specific uh, date in mind because it, it lines up with their lead-in, which is going to be Gray's. Nice. Well, um, I'm, still, I'm still watching Gray's all these years later. They jumped the shark a million years ago, but I'm still hanging in there. Anyway, Adam, thank you so much, and um, it's just been a pleasure. Enjoy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.